Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Created for those committed to mastery and success. Coming to you from Manly, Australia, we break down the science and philosophy of optimal performance so you can unleash your potential. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. My name is Jared Taylor and I'm your host. This is episode number 32 with Mason Taylor, shifting the paradigm of health. So this podcast, I mean the whole Flow State Podcast is really about shifting the paradigm of self and really exploring altered states of consciousness and really exploring what is our authentic innate self underneath all the conditioning and underneath all the thoughts that are just running rampant in our lives these days. Because that's what flow is. When we're in flow, we're tapping into this original state. And that's why it's so awesome. So we get into a few of these topics with Mason. Uh, Mason is a really knowledgeable guy around, around health and around our own sovereignty, how to claim ownership of our body and of our multi-dimensional self. He's a good friend of mine and I really find him very inspiring, the path that he's on. He's an entrepreneur. Um, he is a tonic herbalist. He's extremely knowledgeable around things like medicinal mushrooms and shamanic practices. And uh, yeah, enjoy the chat. It's a good one. Welcome guys. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. We're here today with Mason Taylor. Hey, Mason. Hey, how are you going? Very good, man. Very good. So, Mason, you're a, a uh, tonic herbalist, a rider, a coach, and uh, founder of Superfeast. Just uh, talk me through what Superfeast does, your company. Well, Superfeast was, to tell you the truth, in the beginning, I was like running around being a health nut, an absolute longevity nerd, and... I pretty much just didn't didn't trust everything that was out there on the market, and so I just wanted to upgrade my herbal and detox product apo- apothecary, pretty much. And so I just started creating this online store where it gave me access to sourcing these incredible tonic herbs, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later. Yeah, awesome. So Mason, uh, Mason is a good mate of mine, and this feels like I'm really ex- excited about this chat because... Yeah, he's a brother, and we just get to, to freestyle and chat. So we're just going to be talking through uh, the work that Mason does and some of his uh, visions or sense of purpose. And yeah, so I hope you enjoy this chat. So just quickly, apothecary, define it. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit of a folky term in the herbal realm. It's just like, like it it's basically just means your, your storehouse, your collection of medicine. Yeah. herbs you know you can kind of like get an idea you can get a vision of the old time herbalists with their little tincture bottles and their you know those like those apothecary bottles and just like they've got that that glass on glass stopper in the top and they'll they'll take that off and or what you know what what ails you coming back and i've got this little remedy got this local little tincture got these like loose leaves that i can give you and they go and they'll get their all the herbalist will get all their little medicines and that this is eventually what eventuated into the like the pharmacies that we see these days when you go back to the roots and what that is that's what I, I i see i see that as like a pharmacy a lot of the time is somewhat as a synthetic apothecary you kind of like take away the fluoro lights you know get like you know make it a little bit more earthy and real and you can start to see like a lot more glass a lot more herbs hanging around then you can kind of get the feeling 
feeling of what an apothecary is. Right. So what does it look like when, have you just got hundreds of little bottles and jars and stuff like that in, in your personal apothecary? Yeah, I, I really, I really do. I've like, I've scaled back a little bit in the last, probably the last couple of uh, months, especially kind of taken on more of a nomadic way of mm. living. And so I've, I've scaled right back and, and I, I've started going through a little bit of a maturing phase with the way that I approach herbalism as well. And a big part of that is I, I won't just go and intellectualize this, like, I want to use that herb, that herb sounds cool, so I'm going to get it and turn it into a tincture. Rather, I, I've slowed down a lot more and I really want to start building relationships with the herbs that I, that I work with. Mm-hmm. And so in doing that, because it's the... In building a relationship, just like building a relationship with a um, with a with a human, it mm. takes time and it takes commitment and it takes energy. And so, when it's where I approach herbalism now, I've kind of scaled right back, and I'm just like, I want to get to know you. I want to respect that herb. I want to just respect the essence that it is. Mm. When I think about you, when I think about Mason Taylor, I think about health, but I think about health in a entirely different way, and I feel like your message and I feel like you're going to have a big role to play in the world actually but I feel like it's a sort of health that is coming from a place of innate awareness um is that how do you look at health that's a really beautiful way to put it that innate awareness that that actually nails it to tell you the truth see the way I approach health is it's very feeling based Mm. And so I've, I've kind of, I've walked a path and that's so easy to intellectualize when you look at the health realm and so many people saying things at people. Mm. And I, I really respect that. And I kind of like, I, w- I went into that realm and had to get into the taste of like what that actually is. And uh, the way I'm approaching it now is just say there's anything you want, you know, you, you feel like, you know, you want vitality. You want energy. You want to really experience the potential of your body, whether that's structural, muscular, whatever it is. We have these tendencies to want things or desire things or just, you know, just get like that. "Mm, Yeah, I'd really like that. But where does that come from? You know, like we're, we're all walking around thinking that we need to like obtain this weight loss from somewhere or obtain this energy from somewhere. And and I want to kind of bypass the whole fact that the whole like it comes from within that gets thrown around so much these days that the actual punch of what that means gets missed. Mm. So what I want to like put out there as I'm experimenting with myself, as I continue to go on my adventure in this work is if I can want it, whether it's energy or vitality, where is that perception coming from? What is that perception of that energy? You know, like I can still look at someone who's energized and think, I, yeah, I like that. I want that energy. But what am I feeling? What is that want? What is that desire? And it tells me that the only way you are ever going to want that energy or vitality or whatever it is in that health realm, the only way you can want it is because you're perceiving it already within yourself. You are actually feeling that seed or that potential, not thinking it, you're feeling it. And then we just click straight out of that perception and go, right, who's going to come in and give it to me? And it's like, well, hang on. You felt it. You perceived it. All the seeds are there. And so now when you start embarking along your health journey and you start going into all the elements of health, water, air, food, movement, 
sunlight, all these elements. Now let's shift that relationship to these elements. Let's respect them a little bit more, you know, in the sense that let's not think that that food or that herb or the sunlight is coming in and it's gifting you that energy or it's going to give you that vitality because you don't have it. No, you feel and you perceive those seeds within you, those sprouting bits of potential. And then you allow those elements to come in and be the fertilizer, to be the watering. Of what is already within you. Yeah. And I really like to unconceptualize this and say to people like, no, no, feel it. Feel it. You know, for me right now, like something like this just like really been coming up as I take on my, my, my practice and my martial practice is that perception of that, that power, that real power. And you watch those old martial arts masters like mm. swagger around and then all of a sudden this big burst of energy will come out of nowhere. Mm. I'm like, I see that in him and straight away because I get that little fluttering within mm. my chest about it. I'm inspired by it. I go, where is it? Where is that in me? And mm. I start to perceive that power, whether it's just the seed, whether it's already like a, a, young, um, a young sapling, like a young tree, wherever it is within me, I start to feel it. And then now as I actually walk my path of health, now as I walk my movement mm. path or I'm crafting my diet, I can actually get into direct perception about whether that, that whatever I'm taking into my body or however I'm moving my body, is that actually nurturing that seed of power that's already within me or is it diminishing it? And it takes away the, this conceptualization is, is this healthy for me? Is it not? Because I can feel it. Mm, that's really interesting. It's really interesting because some of the things that you're talking about, like the, the martial artists or the guy that harnesses his internal energies, a few, a couple of these interviews that we've had so far have been with Qigong masters or people that have practiced a lot, the, the internal arts, they call it in China, which basically means harnessing uh, our energy or harnessing our chi or our prana. And, um, and it comes from within. And it's, it's interesting because the paradigm in which I've grown up in and all of us potentially have grown up in is, is one of looking for things from without, from external stuff, like go buy that protein powder and you'll feel this way. Go do this health workout and you'll feel this way. Go and learn from that master and you'll feel this way. Whereas what they're saying in the East, and this is what I, my whole philosophy of flow states and what you're saying about health, is don't look out there, connect with what is within you Learn, listen to it, feel it, feel it is the key. Like learn the language, learn what it's saying and then go from that place, mm. which kind of runs counter to our culture. Would you agree? Yeah, it can be a little bit of a slap in the face to our culture sometimes, but hey, I don't know, sometimes we need a bit of a rude awakening, right? 100%. Look, it's not, it's not necessarily working. <laughs> the, 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 the let's look outside of ourselves... For all the answers. Yeah, this, this is something I kind of, I do like, you know, like, because like, sometimes I get caught up or just in this, you know, mm. like what, sometimes I just, it's like a shit fight out there, you know, with this Western culture. And I get caught up in the details of it and the drama of it. And, and then at points, I just need to pop myself out of that whole, like the, the whole situation and just get a little bit of a bird's eye view and, mm. and look at life and really go, wow, okay, look at this life happening. This is, this mm. is, this is really incredible. And I've, I watch within myself the union between what we would say, like label as East and West. And I start to watch this unifying occurring between Western medicine 
and Eastern medicine. And I start to really, I've started getting really curious about it because I used to be like, mm. you know, when I was like, like real young and cocky within my, within the early days of this health stuff, it was just like, you just sit in that camp of, you know, holistic health, super good, uh, like the modern medicine, super bad. Yeah. Like, and, and, you know, to, to an extent, both camps can be justified in like in any, any standpoint, any rigid standpoint can be justified. Mm-hmm. I cannot like, and that's why, like for myself, my health practice, I ceased having a solid standpoint on anything because I prefer to take on that practice of holding those two opposing ideas mm. in my mind at the same time. And then at that point, it makes it really slippery for my Mm. mind and Mm. if it's slippery for my mind as i'm a multi-dimensional being it must be slippery for my physical body as well Mm. and when i look at what i want for my joints and my organs and and every aspect of myself i want it to be slippery and i want it to be flowing and so that is when i say look at the allopathic medicine modern modern medicine those pharmacy, you know, that, that new age pharmacy that I was talking about earlier and the hospital systems and then everything now that we're bringing, we're drawing in from Ayurveda, TCM, herbalism, all these beautiful martial practices, so on and so forth. I now focus way more on the unifying of those two dualities and it starts tuning me into the possibilities for our planet rather than just polarizing against the natural flow. Yeah, 100%, man. You gave me tingles there because this the whole binary way of seeing the world like the blacks and the whites it's it's just not helpful and if we're stuck in that mind whether it's from a a vegan standpoint or whether it's from a paleo standpoint or whatever it is if you're existing firmly on one side of the argument then you're unable to you're unable to infuse the subtleties and the nuances and all the grays like and that's really just reality is all the greys or the yin and the yang like there is no absolute truth out there and uh yeah that's like your idea of uh the slipperiness of holding the position holding two opposing positions uh, manifestation manifesting into a sort of flexibility of body that's interesting mm. Well, if you have rigidity and tension in your mind, you are going to have that trickle down into your body. Mm. And when you look like I've, I've been, you know, for a long time looking at this health game and thinking about it. And when I, I've just found my, my unhealthiest times when I slipped into that groove of I've got it. And what happens because when I start sitting into that groove of a belief, I can feel the rigidity occurring. And when I become rigid and I lose that fluidity, I like the tension just builds within. And if you have tension, if you don't have the ability to, of course, go into that place where the muscles turn on when it's needed and you get sympathetic in your nervous system and you need to move. But then if you don't have the ability to slip back into that parasympathetic nervous system, which is the house of the the yin energy, Mm -hmm. where you are more fluid, they're like non-dogmatic. Mm-hmm. It's not so much that you're belief-driven at that point. At that point, you're just curious and in wonder of the world and what's going on around you. Mm. In that place, your muscular system isn't turned on. So you're not squeezing your organs all the time. Mm. You're not squeezing your connective tissue and shutting off that, that unification that's always striving to be occurring within your body. 
Mm. And so in that place within the mind, nice and slippery, and you hit it from the body in the other direction, let's just relax, eh? Let's relax and let the tension just peel off. And as you feel the tension peel off, you feel the body starting to flow again. You kind of like get out of your own way a little bit and observe yourself being that, that sovereign self-regulator. Mm, this is such an interesting topic because, you know, people talk about, oh, yeah, the mind and body are connected. And it, and it again, can be depowered. Like, you know, the cliching of, of a phrase or a term can depower it. But when you're talking, I'm, I'm perceiving uh, the people that I observe or people in my life who have a sort of rigidity of body or some, some sort of ailment in, in their body. And the idea here that this rigidity in the body can be a manifestation of rigidity of the mind, this is a, a different or a more nuanced way of looking at mind-body connection. Um, so basically the holding on to a polarity or the holding, being very dogmatic about a particular belief, I'm right, they're wrong, this is right, that's wrong, can manifest into a, yeah, mm. which is interesting. Oh, I, I think it's just stressful to hold mm. that, to hold a particular standpoint constantly and constantly be in a state of justification. And, you know, there's, there's two ways to go about this. Some people have live a particular way with conviction and they know what works with for them. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an intellectualization of an idea of someone going, oh, like, and I, I can only say it because I've been there. You know, mm. like, I've felt that I know what's, what's good for other people better than they do. And it's this diet or it's this practice. Mm. And it's so void of reality. Mm. Therefore, it gets stressful for me. Mm. And that's then that stress has that hold on kind of energy to it. And you just hold on in mm. your body and you don't just lounge, mm. let yourself go, let yourself body, let your body just regulate. Yeah. Why do you care so much about this stuff, Mace? I feel really, I feel like I have a lot of fun when I, when I think about this and I feel into these these parts like I feel it's really on my path mm. I'm, I'm authentically curious about the human body and human potential and the the ongoing deepening of the relationship between ourselves our psyche our, our minds our body our heart soul essence and how to continue to build a relationship in those areas. I mean, very, very early on, I busted through my, my health perception of it just being about food and water and started approaching health as a very multidimensional way of being. And I love it so much because I'm on my path. I feel, I feel like I'm, I'm gaining momentum. Mm. And as I get to stay within myself and can stay in that, uh, in that perception of myself and get those reference points for life through feeling myself, I get to navigate life with that little bit more flow. And I get to watch other people become inspired around me as they start to do the, the same things. That really excites me. Like when, when someone experiences empowerment and you just get to... You just get to watch that moment when the struggle of finding the external answer falls mm. away and 
I mean, something shifts straight away. The color comes back, the shoulders drop mm. and, and an awe comes about that person. And, and I feel it in myself all the time. And that, that excites me. It gets me inspired to, to consistently keep going, keep inquiring, keep adventuring, make mm. it slipperier. Mm, interesting. So talk to, talk to us about your, your personal practice, um, habits, rituals that, that you've incorporated into your life. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about this. You know, I've been, there's practices that I've been doing for many years and I feel like I'm at the point of actually feeling what they're about and their relevance to me and my life. One of the practices I like to do is every day I like to interact with um, herbs, uh, tonic herbs especially, that particular category of herbs that they, they fall into that. Where you're onto these when you're in, on the prevention path. You can bring, you can, these foods can be incorporated as almost like a food, help your body adapt out of balance and constantly potentiate mm. itself, tone the organs. And I practice creating a tonic, a nice hot tonic for myself every day with these herbs. It might be brewing up a tea of some Amazonian herbs, powder arco and cat's claw, taking that hot tea and adding some cacao in there and then taking some medicinal mushrooms from the Chinese tonic herbal system, some reishi, some yeah. lion's mane, a bit of coconut oil, a bit of some spices and blending that up. And I used to do that just because I knew it was like super healthy and cool and, and, <laughs> and, I, and I felt awesome from it. Yeah. But after a while, you actually start feeling the lineage that you're walking cross-culturally. You can start to feel that lineage of sitting there in the high mountains of China as a Taoist and brewing up your tea with those herbs that you've gone and picked yourself. I start to feel the essence of what hot chocolate really is from those Amazonian tribes taking those herbs intentionally and mixing them together. Same as the, um, the Ayurveda um, tradition, creating a chai. So I do that every day. Mm -hmm. I create a nice hot tonic for myself. I have completely let go of the rigidity of my movement practice. The word exercise doesn't even land on me anymore. And what I, what I do now is I, I find those seeds. So I do, and I, I'm going back now to having a, a, like, a, like a practice, a time dedicated to me and my movement, which I absolutely, I'm, I'm in love with that. As I fall more, fall more in love with myself, I'm falling more in love with these practices because they are becoming really relevant to my own path and my own potential and my own capacity to actually experience this broad scope of life. And so I'll come in and have a bit of a tune in and have a bit of a conversation with my body, which I'm kind of, I'm kind of beyond not talking about. And it's getting to the point, which is nice where people stop looking at me weird when I say, have a conversation. I mean, people, enough people are talking about it, but I mean, like sitting there and like talking, like talking to my body. And it's a slippery one again, because it's like, oh, am I, am I saying now that I'm not my body or well, no, like there's a part of me talking to my body and I am my body. And then I get to answer myself through my body and actually start to really mm. learn that language. And, you know, like th this whole like body speak thing, it's, it's like it's sometimes it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, it's a different language or, you know, it's like it's, it's something really mystical. You know, no, you're going to find that you answer yourself in a way that you understand. And you're like, it's, it's fascinating. So I'll get out there and I'll say like, all right, body, what are we doing today? And feel this like, 
right? Lying down, hard surface, 10 minutes, just like cultivating your ability to relax. And I'm kind of like, really? We just got out of bed. And it was like mm. seven hours in bed. It's like, no, this is different. Sleep was a different practice. Sleep mm. had a different intention. You might not actually be tuned into that intention, but I ask you to look at that. I want to lie down and learn how to start my day systemically relaxing and unifying. And I was like, I'm kind of sitting there sometimes popping out of this going, this is kind of strange, man. I'm getting these really direct feedback. And so then my movement practice will emerge from there. Right. So you basically, so part of your practice is having a chat with your, your organs, having a chat with your, your limbs, your muscles, your mm-hmm. skeletal system. Absolutely. Look, like my practice now has shifted so far from just ticking off the box mm-hmm. of different health practices. And rather, it is, now, it is now at the point where my practice is developing very deep relationships with these various elements of it's what we call the health realm. Mm. And that means having a conversation with the ocean when you walk in there. And mm. that can be anyway. It can just be like a, you know, sinking into your heart and saying hello. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. For- I love that. Yeah, I love that idea. And uh, when on one of the ceremonies or ayahuasca retreats that I went on, um, I remember it was sunset and uh, everyone just gathered around at sunset and there was a, a Peruvian lady, uh, like indigenous lady, and she was just saying thank you to the sun, just like over and over and over again. And it was just like, it struck me as something like, just so not familiar but yet so natural yet like it was almost like why don't I say thank you to the sun why don't I say thank you to to the to the earth and to the ocean because I bloody well appreciate the sun and the ocean you know and uh yeah so that's really interesting the energy of voicing it perhaps yeah, voicing it, you know, if you're kind of like, I have fun kind of freaking people out sometimes and voicing everything a yeah, lot of yeah. the time, you know, it's like, you know, just, just, I just say it within. Yeah. I find this has been the biggest practice for me to release stress and tension because when I'm not acknowledging the livingness mm. of this, the sun, of the food that I'm eating and not just like, yay, you're alive, everything's alive, like, no, let's have a look at who that being is. Who's like, who is that? Hmm. You know, like, I don't want to personify it because they're not human, but that doesn't mean they aren't a sovereign being. And so just like with a human friend, Mm -hmm. you don't just go like, right, got my friendship with you. I know you yet. Let's not really converse anymore. You I just, you'll just always be there. And that's it. Ticked off the box. Got my sunbathing practice, whatever. No, you continue to build that relationship for the rest of your life. Hmm. And that's... For me, when I started doing that with my practices, whether it was breathing and you know, having that communication with the with the air, with that wind element, like what are you what are you doing in here? Like what are you fertilizing? What are you aiding me to to grow? At that point, you get to really start activating that phenomena of biophilia within you, which is very like you know very like big beautiful subject but it's our ability to perceive the livingness of everything around us quite often when it's activated is as children we uh, when we spend a lot of time alone in nature that's it's like that heart perception comes awake and we get to we get to feel the world around us on a more of an electromagnetic basis rather than intellectual analysis that's something which now as adults here, like, like many people listening to this, we're adults here in a Western culture. We didn't get that opportunity to spend a whole lot of time in nature and feel that activation. Just like sometimes we can look at indigenous cultures and just go, what do they get? 
What is it? Like, what, wait, how do they know? What do they feel? How do they know that that's alive? Well, this is what we're doing now. We're starting to build these relationships mm. and let the stress roll off you as you drop back into the reality that mm. everything has that essence and that, that beingness. Okay, so biophilia, I want to get more into this because this, again, is another cliche in our culture. Oh, you just got to get back to nature. Um, okay, and, and a lot of people, they, 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 you know, maybe like people that live in big cities and they, they go to nature and they feel some sort of restoration um, but like, what is it? And I feel like what you've just said um, is an interesting way of looking at it. So do you, is biophilia the idea of something in, awakening within yourself, like uh, your sense of nature, uh, something, some alchemy coming about because of you perceiving or, or connecting with nature? nature? Yeah, I kind of like, I, I really like to just simplify it. It's just a skill, just a skill we didn't learn. And honestly, that's it, like super basic. I mean, like a lot of the time I know like I've, I've been bitter in the past at that I didn't have that opportunity to spend a lot of time in nature and develop that skill of how to just simply be in communication with everything around me and just how to build relationships. But, you know, growing up in the West, man, I look back, I've, I've developed a lot of incredible skills and I'm super grateful for them. And now I'm just going to continue to walk other lines of development. And one of those is that one of biophilia, which I kind of just talk about coming back to reality. You know, you're mm-hmm. not going to... Like, like, I don't know, like sometimes people... Like, I don't know what people expect when I, when I talk about this, whether this means you kind of like walk past and the, you're going to have to stop and have chats with trees and all that kind of thing. Like, you know, at the same time, like I, I know people that do that. And for me at the same time, I'm like, no, that's weird. It's weird. Don't walk around the city and, and, and have, like, have chats with trees. You can if you want. It's all good. It's beautiful. But I'm, at the same time, some, like, a part of me sees that as like, you know, I want to be in the ebb and flow of the environment and respectful of the environment that I'm in as well. doesn't mean I don't like standing out like a sore thumb sometimes. I really do. But at the same time, you know, like, where is the appropriateness in people's like and actually contributing to the people around me through the actions that I take? Now, that one might be too far, but I do walk past a tree every now and then and I just like I can feel that call and I just put my hand out and just place mm. it on it and I'll just keep on walking. Thank you. Yeah, got Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but like, look, basically to kind of like break it down, I mean, I know a lot of people would know about like Heart Math Institute and the concept of heart perception mm-hmm. and... You know, this is this is something that gets measured. I mean, like the the heart is a brain. You know, like it's over fifty percent neural cells. The the heart, so it's a brain. We've got the three ba- brains: the one in our head, our heart, and our gut, and they're set up with with direct communication between them, especially unmediated between the mind and the heart. Unmediated communication, and so what happens when we talk about that we're in like being in heart perception is all that means is that we our peripheral nervous system is electromagnetically taking in the information that's in the immediate environment around us and the environment within us and then you you can measure it and it goes into the heart and you measure that on an ecg and you can like see that the this like it spikes and it's like yep there's there's like there's stimulation in the heart it's perceiving something in correlation with that external stimulus and then the heart can actually read that information. It can actually read that language of electromagnetic perception of reality. And then, because your heart doesn't speak English, 
it'll just shoot it up to your mind and just say, yo, like, just like, can you just pop this out into something that I can use and that I can understand so I can get a grasp of what's really going on around me rather than atrophying that heart and that ability and the mind's just kind of left kind of like, like floundering a lot of the time. Like, you know, like, well, I don't have any, I'm, I'm not that hooked into reality right now. So I'm looking at what's going on and all I can really do without my best friend, the heart to like share me this information and what it's perceiving. I can just draw on the past. I can project into the future and I'll just go on that. And a lot of the time we see the flow come out of life, not because the mind does it because you're not unifying. You're mm. not, you're not activating and using the, mm. the body as it was like, you know, as we well, were guessing it was, mm. it was designed. Okay, cool. That brings us to this, this next question. So how, how do you view the idea of peak performance or human potential? I see that because that used to be something that kind of plagued me a little bit is I'd be looking for my potential and just based on the way that I was educated, it was something kind of finite and I was always just trying to like, go like got it, you know, got it, mm. got it. And it was just really fractured and stop starty because mm-hmm. I didn't really know what it meant. And so now what I see it as is uh, maintaining and a building of momentum in my life, in my development. So as I continue to gain momentum and as I can, and this is where like any of that rigidity that comes into my life, I actually feel it becoming sticky and I feel my momentum in many areas of life starting to slow. And so at that point I'm like, no, right. Okay. I can actually perceive, I want to let that go because I'm having too much fun. Just like being up here in my, in my zone. That's, that's the best approximation of words that can describe how I see peak performance and, and that coming into that state of flow. And the other thing that has absolutely enabled me to embrace like, wow, that's now I'm starting to feel what that word potential is pointing towards is I tune into my last breath a lot. I look at my death a lot mm, okay. and I embrace it. And as I gain momentum, I gain momentum towards that last breath point. I walk towards it and I flow towards it. Now, this is a slippery one because people are like, oh, well, hang on, you're gaining momentum towards that last breath point. Does that mean you're going to go there faster or what? And it's just like, no, we're going to just like drop that concept for a moment. It's like, oh, like hold, hold the two opposing ideas. And most of the time you do that. If you look at your death and you face it and you acknowledge it, you smile at it and you give gratitude to it because it's like just that beautiful aspect of life all of a sudden you're going to unlock some incredible states of longevity at the exact same time. And you'll find a lot of wisdom as well as you start to begin to flow into that place of acceptance of the death that's occurring within you and around you all at the same time and to be able to acknowledge the birth that's happening at the same time. Mm. That's, that's how I start to approach my peak performance. Wow. Okay, so peak performance by getting comfortable and intimate with death. So let's just frame this a little bit for people. So basically meditation on death is something that it's, it's part of a practice. Like the Tibetans, the Tibetan Buddhists have been meditating on death for thousands and thousands of years. And many indigenous uh, peoples out there have also um, had this idea of meditating on death. And if anybody's read Carlos Castaneda's books, um, like Journey to Ixlan, then he often talks about um, making death your best friend, your advisor, because nothing is more certain. You know, it's the only thing that's certain in life is death. 
And by having it familiar, by having it just by your side at all times, it's a beautiful thing. It's a reference point. And what happens is that, and you see it all the time when you see these people have near-death experiences or they recover from um, cancer, they recover from something else, they have a car accident. What happens quite often is life. Life happens. Do you, do you talk to me about that? Man, through death, life is born. It's... Again, it's something that enables that momentum. That momentum, if you resist the cycle of death, you're going to be resisting that within yourself as cells die within you all the time. Aspects of yourself choose to die. Relationships choose to die. People choose to die around you. Mm. And then you just we, we, we get so bogged down. And I, I, the only reason I think that that is, is because, again, we just haven't been educated about it. We haven't had that opportunity to develop that, that, that skill or that ability or like that, that, even the opportunity to understand what this is and to allow it to be embraced. I remember growing up, I was always very confused about death and it was mm. kind of like something you weren't really allowed to talk about. And I had some really beautiful like opportunities growing, like growing up in, and you know, like I, I say I say that word you know beautiful just like in like full openness you know no no judgment of like people passing away close to me in my life and being able to observe them and watch them as they like progress to that final point and in reflection I get to really tune into what that was you know what that experience is within that within this aspect of being human and man it's just like it started to really enable me to educate myself about it then you start flipping into like, right, this whole momentum conversation. How does that correlate to like something that's like, you know, not such a heavy conversation like death? What about immunity? You know, I was like, I was, I was interviewing someone recently and they just brought up this term that just absolutely nailed what I've been thinking and feeling about the immune system for a long time. They use the word immunological momentum. And this is something that, you know, like when you start to really gain that momentum in one area of life, start doing in other areas of your life, say like with immunity, like everyone in our culture is just like sick as a dog. Everyone's getting sick. I mean, the amount of degenerative disease around us is just incredible. It's kind of appalling because when you know what an immune system is, I've educated them, like I've, I've been educating myself about the immune system for years now. And you can be like, well, that's, this is the whole point of the immune system to stop us from degenerating, to stop us from having this cell metastasis and like getting these parasites that lead on to such things as diabetes, etc. Et I won't go on about it. Why don't we focus on the immune system? Why are we focusing on people's immunity and that fortification of it? And I used to talk a lot about that immunity, like immune fortification. People think they're going to get to a point where they're like, oh, across the line, I have an immune system now and now I'm not going to get sick. And that's not what it's about because then you stop. You want to continue to build your immunological momentum. You want to continue to gain momentum around your immunity from now right up until like you're, you know, when you're, when you're becoming an elder, because at that point, that momentum, that idea, it keeps you engaged constantly in that, like in that act of building, breaking it down, All right? Build some more, add some sophistication. It's ongoing. It's never going to end. It's never going to end your interaction mm. with your immune system, nor should it. Mm. It's interesting because I know that 
Like, I want to start talking about uh, the synthetic versus the real, because we've had conversations before, um, and you said to me, well, Jira, you've, pro- you've never drunk, you've never had real alcohol, or Jira, you've never had uh, real tobacco, you've only had their synthetic mimics. Um, so what do, you, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I just find this topic super fun because I remember like I was a, um, when I was a youngster, when I was a teenager, I smoked for quite a few years and it was super confusing, you know, because, you know, I was smoking alone as well. Like it wasn't, I wasn't just like in at parties for cool points mm. and I, for a part of me liked it. And then I had my, um, my, the people around me, my community kind of reminding me that this thing's going to kill you and you have emphysema in the, in the family and you are trying to, you're, you're going to kill yourself if you do this or like reduce your lifespan. And I was like, why do I, but why do I want it? Why do I keep on doing it if I know it's going to kill me? This is really confusing because my instincts are leading to me towards something that's going to be like very detrimental for me. And that started the beginning process of me very much not trusting my instincts. And you know, quite a few years later, like from smoking, I just got out my iron will and I just went, stopped and never thought about it again. Didn't need a cigarette, like, you know, didn't didn't even need to think about a cigarette. But then I, as I got, I came out of my rigid zone of of health, I I was getting a little bit bored and I just wanted to like have some more adventures. I started thinking about foods and herbs and like substances that I was interacting with when I was a kid or when I was a young adult. And I was like, why did I want those things? I know now that I trust me and me alone. I trust my instincts. Why did my instincts lead me astray back then? And I started realizing, ah, okay, I was attracted to that tobacco. I'm going to trust that instinct. Why was I attracted to tobacco? What are they hiding from me? And so at that point, it's like since then, I've been able to go and on, on some adventures into the, into the jungles of Peru and sit down and smoke real tobacco and use tobacco in various forms in ceremony and get the feeling for who that plant is as a teacher and as a companion to humanity. And I'm like, whoa, no wonder, like no wonder they tried to hide this plant from us because humans have been working with tobacco for a long, long time. And so that memory of tobacco, it's in my mitochondrial memory. You know, it's deep within my cells. And so at that young age, you know, kind of like, yeah, something's coming up. I want that tobacco. Now, it seems that industry, I don't know whether it's sinister or not, you know, like, you know, I've kind of been all through the sovereignty and the conspiracy realms and all that kind of, I just don't even feel to get into them anymore. I just know what I feel. And so I feel that it was so obvious that humans were going to continue to work with tobacco and it was going to be very mind opening for humans. Same as alcohol, you know, same as chocolate, same mm-hmm. as cannabis as a medicine. And cannabis was one of the main like herbs used uh, for treatment of people in like those old apothecaries, you know, like mm. there's, there's all like, whether it's chocolate, you know, like the, all, all these things like, you know, we can go even deeper, sex, all these things that are just too symbiotic to the human experience for us not to want. So, and it's very mind altering. They take you into other mm. dimensions, you know, no, they don't even have to be hallucinogenic. They just do. And so they'll take the real thing and go, right, we can't hide tobacco from them. 
can't hide alcohol from them. What we'll do is we'll just industrialize it and we'll strip it away so the spirit's gone and then we'll slap in a whole lot of chemicals or you know some like synthetic processes that make it other than the best ever for you and then we'll let them have access to that and that'll confuse the shit out of them because they know they want it and then they'll think they're killing themselves and then we'll confuse them even more and we'll run campaigns telling them how dangerous it is but there's no spirit in that tobacco there's a lot of chemicals that cause cancer. It's not even the tobacco causing the cancer. Same with alcohol. I mean, you know, like when you, when you get the opportunity to drink, say, a, um, just a local brewed alcohol, like in Peru, they have chicha. In, in Mexico, the Tarahumara have an agave beer. And the, all the, you look at these ale, these traditions of creating ales, how they used to be. They would, no, no, they'd get their, they'd get their base, they'd get their menstruum, their liquid, and then they'd do a little ceremony, and it was their way of interacting with that bacterial kingdom, that yeast kingdom, and they'd call in the bacteria that they want to come and, like, start that culture. And then, at that point, they, that yeast would come in, they'd put particular plants around to stop any of those bad bacteria or bad spirits that they didn't want to come in and, and create that ale and that brew. And so, at the same time, they don't just use that one herb, hops. You know, that's all our beer has hops in it. Now, beer is a herbal brew and hops is a herb, a beautiful herb. However, very estrogenic. And when we know, what do we know about estrogens? They, they create man boobs when estrogens are like in excess. It suppresses testosterone. So men are going to get small shoulders, get their beer gut. Now, is it the herb's fault? Is it the beer's fault? No, it's just silly for us to choose one herb that's appropriate sometimes. You know, back in the day, the master brewer might use hops if there was a particular thing going around in the, in the tribe and everyone needed a little bit of an estrogen boost. And then they go on to other, other like herbs or, or foods in the area, like a yarrow you know, or a sage beer or something like that, whatever herb was going to be contributing because that herb's medicine's then infused and fermented into the brew. And then a lot of the time they find, oh, you know, this, this, this ferment's not kicking. What's going on? Someone who's got that little bit of wisdom and go, did you give some back? Did you give some back to the earth? Go, no, 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 I didn't give any back. Go on, give a little bit back to the earth, offer to the directions, and then all of a sudden, bang, the brew kicks in again. Mm. Now, that's beer. <laughs> that's why we want it. That's why we like it. Is there anyone making beer as you described just then that you know of? I don't know if anyone in the direct vicinity that is yeah. offering it in a commercial way. Wow. But people, like, especially Australia's got a really beautiful beer culture emerging once again where that, that intention and that love of that process mm. is, is really coming back in an authentic way mixed with a genuine desire to draw on the old ways you know what did they know yeah what's the essence of alcohol what's the essence of beer yeah we've spoken about this before about how wonderful it would be if there were other choices for people that wanted to to, to use alcohol in a in a mindful way or to have a different relationship with alcohol mm. because what's happened in our culture is that we've created this binary relationship with alcohol it's like you're either you know for it and you know you get shit-faced or you're against it because you see all these people vomiting or at the Melbourne Cup and passing out and it's just disgraceful and ungraceful. But um, 
there's all these greys, there's all these areas in between, there's alcohol being this wonderful social lubricant, this creating this amazing altered state of consciousness um, where we can have a different type of conversation with the people that we're with and you know, this is the same could be said for marijuana, the same for tobacco. All these things are creating altered states of consciousness, which are gateways to something mm-hmm. if we have certain intentions. And what, what was always amazing to me, I, I did some research into, you know, different plant medicines and things like that in, in the Peruvian cultures. And tobacco is held in sort of like a higher esteem to more powerful um, entheogens like ayahuasca uh, or or San Pedro, like, which is like a mescaline-based thing. So do you know anything about the role of tobacco in that indigenous culture? Well, yeah, I, I was speaking to a good friend of mine recently who's quite tuned into that conversation and, um, and into that ayahuasca vine. And they were telling me that right back in the day, the the tobacco the mapacho as it's called there is they'd be smoking mapacho and if you smoke enough mapacho you know you, you feel if everyone has a tobacco has a real tobacco you feel that altered state come immediately and it's not a hallucinogen but if you smoke enough of it apparently they've discovered that the visions start to open up and the vision opened up from that tobacco plant and the tobacco they knew was a protector and a cleanser that's his two major attributes. Mm. And the vision opened up and was like, go get this vine, go get this leaf, brew them together like this with this preparation and then drink it. And that's how ayahuasca was born. Mm. Through that mapacho opening up that, that capacity for us to dip into that you know, a bit of an altered state where we can develop a little bit of an insight into what's going on mm. uh, behind the veil build some relationships and then of course drank and then that spirit realm was open mm, interesting interesting which is why uh, mapacho or tobacco has such a, a role in the ceremonies uh, when you're when you're dealing with other plant medicines that's interesting well, that's a whole different way of looking at, at tobacco which is sort of you know in the black and white culture we live in has become like sinister evil chemicals all that sort of stuff same with alcohol so yeah that's an interesting way of looking at things what about let's talk about uh flow uh mm. mason like how do you what does flow mean to you and, and how do you connect with that state see flow very much has a physical grounding for me i aim to as i was saying before embody that slipperiness and that fluidity within my physicality and that has me focus a lot on my cells and that extracellular matrix and that maintaining that that buoyancy within my cells so that they're not crumpling in onto each other so they stay electromagnetically nice and buoyant and light that means ensuring that there's no heavy metals or radiation or debris from parasites and nanobacteria getting in there polluting so as i can as i've over the years gently detoxified myself all that heaviness has come out of my cells and then at the same time i've really engaged in nourishing my body in rebuilding my structure back up and at that point the cells they become buoyant once again 
And then there's like starts to be that capacity that of metabolism to happen within flow. And so I, I can eat and digest and absorb and I can feel that kind of like, you know, you can feel that potentiation of those nutrients going down and being delivered to the cell and the cell being able to just like take that through its like nice lush membrane, its plump membrane, boom, bring it in have that flow within itself to actually mobilize toxicity within itself and the um, intelligence to push it out. Bang, that's into that matrix. And then to continue to have that movement through that fluid, be able to take that to the appropriate channel, whether it's the bloodstream or the lymphatic system, where that toxicity or that which, which is no longer needed can consistently be taken back to the liver. Now, at this point, a lot of people get into like a, well, you know, like, well, the, the proper function of the body is then the liver just detoxifies it. But no, it's not enchanting enough. You know, like flow, flow for me comes from staying enchanted with my body. And so at that point, I like thinking and feeling into like you were talking about before, you know, you can start to get to know your organs. You're like, wow, my organs like a sovereign being, man. And yeah, it's a part of me, but it's also sovereign. And so you get to like tune into that, the liver having that ability and that uh, aptitude to go like, okay, here we go. Here's this kind of like pocket of toxins that came from this area. What is it? Okay. Is it dangerous right now? Okay. It's that, that's super dangerous. Deactivate that. I'm going to kind of just store it back here for a little bit until there's an appropriate time to release it into the gut. Or, ah, you know what? Yeah, that toxin, we can actually break that down and recycle that and use that for food at ourselves. Oh, you know, let's just deactivate that and we can just dump that right now. That intelligence, that's a state of flow for me. Now, at the same time, I like to tune in constantly to my fascia, to my connective tissue. See, flow ceases within myself and in my life when I see myself as fractured parts. I see there's my bones here and then my organs are over here. Now, it's going to be one of those slippery ones because I like to hone in to that the skeleton or to whatever, the eyes or a particular organ. But I also like to feel how they're unified at the exact same time and what unifies them. And it's that connective tissue, that connective tissue that permeates every organ, surrounds every organ, every muscle, penetrates the skeletal system. And that is, that is a part of yourself that you can be in perception of. You can be in perception of that part of you that literally connects and unifies and is that physical distinction that yeah you're, you're fully connected and that, that's something it's palpable for me I'm, I'm, I'm working with a movement mentor to just because I like you know I like having that person to point out things in my blind spots constantly it's like it's what we do right point out what's already inside yeah. of you but I'm cultivating that more of ability to be in that direct perception of that spongy elastin collagen based tissue within myself Interesting, man. That is not a uh, that is not a way I've heard people describe getting into their flow state before. It's very interesting. Very interesting. So we've got to uh, wrap up there, Mace. So tell us uh, briefly how people can find you or connect with you. Yeah, sure. People can find me at www.masonjtaylor.com. That's my personal site, and you can check out who I am a bit more, some things I'm up to and got some good content on there in the blog. And as well, you can you can go to my uh, company's site, superfeast.com.au if you're interested in dipping into that tonic herbal conversation that we were having. Mm. And, and sign up for it, guys. Like, sign up for their newsletter. Sign up for Mason's content as well because 
there's a lot of really interesting uh, educational stuff around how we can use tonic herbs, how we can add things like reishi mushrooms or chaga mushrooms to our, to our diet. And this is stuff that I'd never been taught before. It was not even in my peripheral vision, um, you know, from mainstream society. So there's a lot of interesting stuff there, guys. So tune into that. Um, thanks for listening. And um, don't forget to share this content if, it, if, you, if you feel called to do so. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you next time for the next conversation. Thanks, Mason. Thank you. See you, everybody. Well, I hope you enjoyed that chat with Mason Taylor. I think you can probably agree he's an interesting guy. And I really uh, urge you to go check him out at masontaylor.com. Um, and also Superfeast. Check out their range of products. They really do have some amazing stuff. I personally recommend the, the reishi mushrooms and the chaga mushrooms. I put them in my Bulletproof coffee or in smoothies. Um, and it's awesome. Also, guys, I just wanted to let you know that today we are, I am launching a new course. It's a six-week program called the Flow State Freedom Formula. And this is a really powerful program that's designed to build the foundation of self-awareness and self-knowledge. The problem with lots of our culture is that people think they're going for the sexy stuff. They want to go straight for peak performance and mindset and flow states and all that sort of stuff. But often these people that do that just don't really know who they are. They haven't built up a foundation of self-knowledge and self-awareness. And if you don't know who you are, how on earth are you going to know where you want to head in life? So there's a lot of big questions and a lot of practices that can build up your self-knowledge. And this course, this program is built upon the foundation that I learned in my 20s when I was studying with Zen Buddhists and when I was immersing myself in Eastern philosophy. So there's a lot of awesome, powerful stuff which will really set the foundation for sustainable levels of peak performance. So go to flowstatecollective.com slash freedom dash formula. That's flowstatecollective.com slash freedom dash formula or just go to the website i'm sure you'll find it thanks guys see ya thanks for listening to the flow state performance podcast check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential